thank you so much for hanging out with us today, wherever you are at, whatever location you are at. Maybe you're at a physical campus this morning. Maybe you are tuned in at church online. We are honored that you are here. And the thing that I love about this right now is that you chose to be here. You could have picked anywhere else in the world to be today. You could have picked anything else to do, but you chose to be here, whether at one of our physical campuses or online. We'd love for you to drop it in the chat right now. Let us know that you're excited to be here. Maybe do the little, like, praise hand emoji. That's my favorite one. It's okay. You guys can do it, too, if y'all want to. Like, there we go. I see some happening there. Thank you for joining in with me in that. But wherever you're at today, welcome. And I think you couldn't have picked a better, a better Sunday to be here. We're going to be diving in to 1 Peter. But i got to ask a question. I need, I need to know from you. Are you feeling the same way I am right now? I think this summer has like a, a, a tagline to it. I think this message series is aptly named Scattered Summer. Does anybody else feel this? Feeling like just like you're going from one place to the other, that your mind's all over the place. You don't know where you're headed. You don't know where you're going next. My wife and I had to sit down, and we had to calendar out for the first time in three months, and we got through like June the 17th, and I said, I'm done. I ain't got nothing else. I can't do anything else, and so we have to come around it later. We're going to try to get to the first three weeks, but I'm officially a dance dad. This has happened. Pray for me, because this is a whole new world. My little girl is three, and so we had her first dance recital yesterday, and if I thought I was scattered before, I had no idea. And here we are, we're going to Henley Grace's first dance recital, and yesterday, and I just felt all of a sudden, Henley, all all day, all morning long, she's like, Daddy, are we we going to dance recital? It's dance recital time. And I was like, yes, baby, but first, Daddy's going to get a nap, because i got to prepare myself. And so Henley was so excited of going to dance recital, and yesterday was just nuts. And I have been formally introduced to dance recital days. It lasted for a very long time. We got there at 12 o'clock. Henley started around 2.45, and that was something. Now, the thing that I didn't recognize, these are all the lessons that I'm learning of being a dance dad now, is that there are, did you know this, there are costume changes in dance recitals. Yes, there are. And there are also costume, like, holders, outfit holders, that's very nice. And I saw all of the dance, you know, moms and dads walking around with their really cute dance holders. And meanwhile, Henley Grace is coming up in there with her second costume and a garbage bag. And I said, I am dad of the year right here. This is something else. But it was something about just the scatteredness, the newness of everything, just the new seasons of life that I was just like, I am not prepared for this. And so we go to dance recital, and then I'm headed over to eat some late lunch with my family, and I'm trying to scarf down some, some shrimp and grits down in Biloxi and so that me and my brother-in-law, we can make our way up to Hattiesburg for the, for the regional last night. And that was something. We were there. But let me tell you, we're going to be back at it today. We're going to be back at it today, 1 o'clock. This, we're saying some SMTTT today. And so we're excited about that. But I'm going to tell you, it was scattered. It was nuts. And I don't know if you feel the same way I do, but I feel like I'm bouncing around to every little thing, going to the next event, the next place. And finally, when I get to rest my feet, the only thing I can think about is what's coming up next. But here's another thing that I'm noticing. And I'm wondering, wondering if you're noticing the same thing. Is that underneath all of the busyness and the hurry and the next things, there seems to be a low-grade anxiety that just seems to be pervasing through our culture. And I don't know if you feel the same way, but it just seems that every time that I'm opening up my news app or I'm turning on the TV or I'm seeing it seems like something else is going wrong, that there's something else, and maybe it's in your own life. Maybe you don't even have to turn on the TV to see it. Maybe it's everywhere you turn in your own family, in your own life, that there's something going wrong. How do we even possibly begin to break out of this? 
and be the people that God has called us to be, to be the husband and the father and the mother and the brother, the sister, the friend that God is calling us to be when all we can think about is the next dark moment ahead. I think that's exactly why Peter wrote this letter that we're gonna be studying over the next few weeks. This is exactly why. You see, the audience that he is writing to is in the first century. They had been dispersed out of Palestine, and they had been scattered around 300,000 square miles. This is where Peter was writing to, to people all over the place who, because of difficult circumstances, they had been sent out, right? They had been scattered across the land, and he's writing to them to give them encouragement and to give them hope. But the beautiful thing that I love about God is that when, he, when Peter was writing that letter two millennia ago, that he knew that there was going to be a generation of believers, a generation of people who were walking in a very difficult season in 2022, going through so much in their own life. He said, I'm going to make this letter also count for them as well. And so my prayer for you today is that you find hope and that you have encouragement as we dive in to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 8. And you would think that for a guy who's writing to a group of people who have just been scattered all over the earth, that he would have a little bit of sympathy. That he would be like, hey man, look, I know you're going through a lot. I know it's a tough time right now. You ever send a text message like that? said, man, I know that you're going through a lot, but that's not where Peter starts. In fact, he gives us a whole new perspective on how to view the difficult seasons in our life. And so let's read together in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verses 3 through 8. It says this. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. It's in this that you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and in glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's my prayer for you today as we walk through these verses is that you will be filled with a joy that is inexpressible for the praise and the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, we pray that your words would speak to us, that they would move us in a fresh way, in a way that we've never been moved before, and that we would be able to take it, your words, your words alone, and that it would change our lives, that it would change our trajectories and our families' lives. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, have you ever felt, I gotta ask this, have you ever felt that you're just in a really dark place that you couldn't get out of? I mean, just somewhere that you're like, this is too much for me, I can't handle it, and I, I don't know where to go. I don't know which way's out, I can't see my hand in front of my face. One of those moments, I mean, physically. Because I need to tell you a story about the time that Lauren and I, we had just gotten married, and we were headed out on our honeymoon. And we, man, we were having a great time. There was the beach and the trees, and we got to see all the cool stuff, right? Got to eat the good food, because your boy's going to eat the good food. And we were just having a blast. But there was one part about the honeymoon that I wasn't too excited about. And it was one thing that I was kind of like one of those, it was one of those things where Lauren was really excited about it. And so I had been married for like 27 hours, so I had to be excited about it. And so she was like, no, we're going to do this. We're going to go. It was cave tubing. And it's just as bad as it sounds. 
We were caved, and she was like, no, we're going cave to him, and it's game on. And I was like, okay, baby, we're going to do this. And so I was just really riddled with anxiety about it. I don't like to be in dark spaces, you know, as any normal human wouldn't like to do. But nevertheless, we were going cave tubing. So we get out, and I was already kind of feeling like I had a little sunburn action. I wasn't excited about it, and so I was just kind of trudging along. But we get in the van. You have to go to the mainland to go cave tubing. And so we get in this van, we're riding along and just having some conversation. It took a little while to get there, but all of a sudden, we get to the entrance of where the cave tubing expedition was to occur. And all, there was these huge gates, and they were beautiful. They were colorful, had beautiful symbols and stuff around them, and it's huge that we were all looking at. It had some words up there in like Mayan or Aztecan or something, and I was just enthralled by this. So we were riding through the gates, and all of a sudden I said, hey, I was talking to our driver. I said, hey, man, could you kind of tell me what those words were? That was beautiful. Like, it was getting me feeling really good. I was excited about this cave tubing. He was like, yeah, 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 that's uh, ancient Mayan for gates of hell. Oh, it's going to be that kind of trip. <laughs> Got it. Okay, so we're going through the gates of hell, and we're getting on into our cave tubing experience. And so all of a sudden, we get there, and the tube's over here. They're saying, grab a tube. I said, okay. So I get my tube, and we get into the water of this river, and it's just flowing through. It's gorgeous. We get in, and the water, you can see straight through it, see everything underneath. It's open. There's trees. You love it. And I'm excited. I said, oh, this isn't going to be too bad. Then we get to the cave. And we start going through this river and we get into the cave and y'all, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And the only thing that you can hear is the drip, 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 drip of water and bat wings flapping. That wasn't the worst part though. Because we're in this cave and you can't see anything and Lauren's loving it, man. She's just like so hanging out and flim you know, just going for it. And I have this fear that there's something in the water. And so I'm looking, you know, around, and I can't see anything. And you know how, like, a tube, your, your backside kind of goes in it? And you fall? Not me. No, no. I was like a board across that tube. <laughs> I was sitting supine on that inner tube. There was nothing. No part of my body was in that water. And so here I am, like a drill sergeant, kind of falling along. And all of a sudden, I was just I was so overcome with anxiety and just nervousness. And I was just like, I'm never getting out of here. But finally, I saw a little bitty piece of light way on down the way. And I started thinking to myself, if I can just get to that light, if I can just get to that light, the praise God, he's going to bring me through the pit. And so we're going to go through. And, and all of a sudden, the light gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally, we make it through. And hallelujah, we made it through the cave. And then Lauren's like, baby, wasn't that amazing? We saw so many things. I said, no, we didn't. But it's still okay, because I had to pretend, you know, 27-hour marriage. I was like, baby, that was amazing. That was the best thing I've ever experienced in my life. It wasn't. But God led us through the gates of hell, and we are here today to testify about it. But isn't that so much about life? Have you ever felt that way? That the seasons in your life that you're in, maybe you feel like you're just floating along a current that you can't control, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a pit, in a dark place, in a place that you can't get out of, where you can't see the next step in front of your face, and the only thing that you know to do is to look at the little speck of light, even if you can see the light. How many times do we find ourselves in that season where we don't know where to turn? Everything is dark. Everything is difficult. There's hope. That's Peter's message to us today, is that there is hope. We're going to ask ourselves the question today, how is your hope? Because this is what we see in verse 3. Let's go back to what Peter says. We see the very first thing, as we're unpacking this letter, we see a hope that is living. 
a hope that is living. The thing that I love about this letter, as I said before, it wasn't just about Peter saying, hey man, I know you're going through a tough time, man. That really stinks. I'm sorry. No, he brings a whole new perspective to how we view our trials. He starts off not with the problem, not with the difficulty, but instead he raises our perspective. He says, hey, look up here. Yes, I know you're going through something right now. I know that you're experiencing something that's difficult, that's horrible, that you're facing, that you weren't expecting, but look up here. In verse three, let's go back to it. It says, blessed be the God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the very beginning, he brings us back to the gospel. He says, I know that you're going through something difficult, but look up here. Blessed be the God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love that. I love that. Why does Peter start off with that? Why does he start off by recognizing what they're going through? Here's the reason. It's because our faith is affected by what we focus on. Think about it. When our faith is so overcome by fear because of what we're looking for down here, what Peter does is he raises our eye level and he says, this is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everything that you're going through is centered around him. And when we center our mindsets and our perspectives and our focus around him, it changes things. It lets us remember that we're not in this cavern alone, that we're not in this cave alone, but instead we are on a river of living hope. I love that he uses the word living. I used to ask myself this question, but why use, why say living hope, right? You would think you could save a little bit of ink by just writing hope. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his mercy calls us to be born again just to a hope. But it's when I really started studying this that I recognized that this is one of the most beautiful and impactful pieces of scripture. That word living right there, it comes from the word zoe in Greek. It means active. It means alive. It means that our faith and our hope is not static. It's dynamic. It's the same word that Paul used in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, when he says the word of God is living, it's zoe, and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's moving. It's dynamic. It's also the same word that Jesus used in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well, when Jesus said, hey, the water that you're about to give me is going to cause thirst again, but the water that I give, it's zoe. It is living, and you will never thirst again. This is the kind of hope that we have in Christ. It is moving. It is active. It's not just some kind of hope that we pull off the shelf and we try to sprinkle on our problems and say, man, I hope that works. Man, I hope this gets me through. No, the, the, the hope that we have, it is moving like a river's current through our life. And where does it stem from? Where does this river find its genesis? In the foot of the cross. The moment that Jesus gave his life, the moment that he was buried and the moment that that tomb opened up, there was a river of hope that rushes out of that tomb and into your life. Just like water, it makes, it makes firm the places, it smooths out different places. Have you ever seen water at the beach? A couple of weeks ago, my family had an opportunity to go to the beach and it was a lot of fun, but I'm one of those guys that likes to be at the beach, but I can't stand being on the beach. You know what I mean? The whole sand thing, not for me. Not for me. But there was a day that I was like, you know what? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do my, my, my beach thing, my duty, and to go out there as a, a good family member. So I was going out and, you know, trying to track over all the sand. My family was like at the bottom waiting. I'm like, oh, Blake, you're doing it. You're making it down. And I was like, yes, I am. And so we made it down to the beach. And I, I, have you ever looked at the water? Just taking a moment and see the waves go in and go out, go in 
go out. And it was in that moment when I was watching the waves that I noticed that God was saying something to me. He said, Blake, my hope moves in your life like those waves. Because if you look at the sand around where the waves cover it, it's smooth. It's frictionless, right? There's not a lot of grit there. Everything is uniform. Everything is in its place. But if you go to the place where the water doesn't touch the sand, and there's pits and there's crevices and it's all grainy and there's mountains and valleys and, and hills and holes and every which way. And if you're like Henley Gray, she's like dug three feet deep just to find one shell. And so there's massive caverns and all of these different things. But as soon as the tide comes up and the water begins to hit those waves, it gets to hit that sand, it begins to smooth out. That's the same way that living hope works in our lives is it takes the high points of our lives and the low points of our lives and it puts them together into a flat surface of confidence in who God is and what Jesus has done for us. This is a living hope that we have and it changes our life forever. It allows us to see like Romans 8, 28 says, for we know that all things, both the good and the bad, work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to what? To his purpose his purpose. He is working out his purpose in us. And the moment that that tomb opened up, everything changed. And every season that you're facing right now, a rushing current of the river of the goodness and the living hope of God is rushing out. It is Zoe and it is covering over every aspect of your life. But it's not just that Peter says we're coming from somewhere, right? That river's not just coming from the foot of the cross, not just coming from the open tomb, but it's going to somewhere. We are a people with a destination. When we have trusted in Christ and given our lives over to him, we have somewhere we're going. And it's not just a little light, it's a big one. Let's look in verse four of what Peter says. He says that we are headed to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and that it's kept in heaven for you. This is the second thing that we see. It's an inheritance that's unfading. I don't know about you, but that gets me so excited to know that we have a destination that God is calling us to somewhere. But did you notice how Peter describes it? I think it's so interesting that Peter describes the inheritance that we are to gain, the salvation that we receive when we trust in Christ, that he describes it by what it's not. Isn't that interesting? He says this, he says, it's what? It's not perishable. It's not defiled and it's not fading. That's a lot of ins and uns. If you're studying for the peace ad, this is a great time to write those words down. But he describes it by what it's not. Why does he do that? It's because when we trust in Christ, the, the reward, the inheritance that we receive, the love that we receive from Jesus is so big. It's so great. There's nothing that can compare to it. There is no word on this earth that can describe the inheritance that we receive. So the only way we can describe it by what it's not. It's not these things. But isn't that different than how we like to describe the things that we have today? Isn't that different than how we like to describe the inheritance or the things that we have in this life? We describe it by what we have, by status, or maybe by what we want it to be, right? Our 401k is going to be this, or it is this. Our relationship with that person is going to be this way, or I'm certain it's going to turn out like this. That promotion is going to be this, and this is what I have. This is what I am. We describe it by what it is, but the difficult part of that, the way that the world likes to pull the rug out from under us is because as soon as we turn our back on what we thought it was and we turn back towards it, it's no longer that. How many of you have felt that in your life? 
that you had something that you were so confident in, and then you turn back around and it wasn't. That 401k isn't as doing near as well as you thought it would. That relationship turned and went south in a very bad direction. That promotion was more weight and more time away from family than you ever thought that you would be able to handle. And it's too much. Things change. The difficulty of our life is when we describe something by what it is, it necessarily changes it. But Peter says that when we trust in the living hope of God, that we have an inheritance that is only described by what it can't be. And this is what that means. Let's kind of unpack those three words for a second. It's, first, it's imperishable. That means it can never wear out or disappear. This inheritance that we have when we trust in Christ and we have riding on that river of living hope, there is an imperishable inheritance for us, meaning that it will never wear out. It never goes away. It means it's, it's incorruptible. There's nothing that can ruin it. Nothing ruins it. Nothing steps in the way. Anything that you are facing, any mountain or giant that you're experiencing, nothing can ruin the inheritance that is waiting for you. It's finally, it is undefiled. And I love that he used this word. I love the word undefiled because this is what it means. It means it cannot be stained or cheapened in any way. Now listen to my voice right now. If you don't hear anything else from me, there's somebody in the room today that's feeling that's in Blake, that sounds really good, but you don't know my story. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. There's no way that God can accept me undefiled. There's no way that I can be clean, that I'm not going to ruin my story with God. There's no way he can accept me. Can I tell you, when you accept the grace and the love and the peace of Jesus and you trust him as your Lord and Savior of your life and you follow him with everything that you've got, there's nothing in your life that will ever defile the grace of Jesus. Nothing. He is there. And it's not based on us. It's all about what he has done. And we trust in that. It's undefiled. So the question is, does the hope that you have right now, is it based on what you have? Or is it based on what God has for you? We all have to come to terms with this. We all have to recognize that sometimes we put our hope in the things that we have and try to define them, and then our hope gets let down every time that those things change. But when we put our hope in the undefiled, incorruptible inheritance of God, that provides a firm, firm foundation for us to begin to live our lives for his glory, because to change our lives forever. And so we have a living hope that Peter rushes through like a river for us. And it's heading towards that, that light that's getting bigger and bigger day by day as we're in the cavern of life. That light is getting bigger. We know that there is an inheritance that we're headed towards. And so now Peter gets to the point. It's after establishing our past and our future that he gets to our present. And he says this in verse 6 and 7. He says, it's in this that you rejoice. It's in what? It's in that living hope and in that inheritance. And it's in this that you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is what he's saying. He's saying, hey, you've got a living hope, and you've got an inheritance. And when you're in the middle this already not yet of faith, and you were going through difficulties, that trial, I am going to turn that trial into a testament of your faith. God turns the trials that we face into the testaments of our faith. 
We can stand firm in knowing that no matter what we experience, no matter what happens to us, no matter what we face, that God is good and he is bringing about good for his people. This is why Paul is able to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, after he has faced so much, after he has had a thorn in his side, and he has begged God to take it away. God, please take this thorn away from me. And then God says to him, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so what does Paul say? He says, therefore, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. He had a living hope. And I love that Peter used this last metaphor, this metaphor of a goldsmith. He says, though your faith is being refined as in the fire as like gold is. And so think about in those first centuries, have you ever seen a goldsmith do his work? It's amazing. It's amazing what he does. He takes this lumpy part of ore and it's got dirt all over and it's got different things that don't need to be there. It's definitely not going on any piece of jewelry anytime soon, but he takes that mess And he takes a little hammer, he begins to chop some stuff off, break it off, break it off, move it across. So then we're going to get rid of this. We're going to get rid of this. And then what does he do? He puts it in a fire. He puts it in a fire that is blazing. And little by little, the parts that don't need to be there, the difficult things, the the nasty stuff begins to fall away and burn away. And then he pulls it out and he looks at it. He says, man, there's still a little bit there. Do you think that he puts the gold in there in order to burn it? No. He's not out to burn the gold. He's out to refine it, to burn away the things that don't need to be there so that when he pulls it out, that gold alloy, this is how he knows. This is how a goldsmith knows that he's got a good piece is when he pulls it out and it cools off and he looks up at it and he sees his reflection. And when he sees this reflection, he says, this is good. When we trust in Christ, He begins to take the worst seasons of our lives and he puts that into that fire and we're in refinement. He's not out to burn us. We're not here to be burnt. But every time he breaks us off, a little bit more falls off, a little bit more falls off. And finally, he pulls us out and he says, I see my reflection. I see my son. Everything that you face can either be a trial or it can be a testament. And when you choose to put your hope in the one who gave his all for you, and you trust that that tomb is empty, then you can stand firm and say that no matter what I face in my life, though it's difficult, though the rest of me may fade, I'm going to put my trust in him and in him alone. And my purpose on this earth is not for pleasure, is not for excitement, is not for success, but it is for reflection. I am here to reflect the glory and the goodness of God because everything that I face is a testament of my faith. So my question for you today is this, how's your hope? How's your hope? Are you putting your hope in what you have? What Peter would say, the things that are passing away? Are you placing your hope in something that is undefiled and it is waiting for you? It is stored up in the middle of the cavern of your life when you can't see the next step in front of your face. Where are you turning? Are you looking to that light and recognize that you are on a river of hope? of living hope that is moving and actively changing our lives. I'm gonna ask at all of our locations that every head bowed and every eye closed for just a few minutes. This is one of the most important moments of our lives where we come face to face with the response of who God is, of what he's spoken over us. So I want you to reflect, how is your hope? Where have you placed your faith? 
Is it in what you have? Or is it in the ever-perfect, the wonderful King of Kings and the Lord of the universe, Jesus? Have you placed your hope in him? Maybe you're here for the very first time and this is not anything that you've ever encountered before, but something is tugging at your heart. Can I tell you that's the Holy Spirit? That the moment that he stepped, that the moment that Jesus stepped out of that tomb and he made his way out, that a rushing river of living hope, this is not a babbling brook of hope. This is a torrent, a rushing river that is flowing from the cross, from the tomb, into your life. And he's calling you today. Will you place your hope in him? Let me pray for us. God, we love you. And we do that. We, we place our hope in you. We give you everything we've got. We don't have anything else. Every time we try to create something of ourselves, it, it just ends up going away or changing. But God, you've given us an inheritance through salvation. You've given us a, an inheritance through your word and through your spirit that is undefiled. And Lord, we want to lean into that. So God, right now, I pray that you would move, that you would work in our hearts. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Venture Church Podcast. To find a campus near you, check out VentureChurch.org.